This is the Love That Album Compilation Edition, covering soundtracks, tribute albums, best ofs, box sets, and more. Welcome to episode 38 of the Love That Album Compilation Edition. This episode I'm calling The Roots of Alt-Rock, Class of 1990. Uh, even though that's a little bit of a misnomer, I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, this is Eric Reanimator, and I'm your host. And actually, I intended to cover some of this last year, but didn't get around to it. So we're doing it now. Started off there with quite a bit parts of two songs of Queensryche from their first EP, which was just self-titled. That soaring, operatic, progressive metal that uh, rumbled out of Seattle in the mid-80s that would uh, become a big force in 1990 with a hit song and a hit album and kind of peak and then kind of peter out, even though there's maybe some good stuff to follow. And what we're going to be talking about today is essentially best of albums from the three bands that I have long cited as the progenitors of the alt-rock marketplace. And by that I mean there's three bands that had big hits around 1990, 91, that were up-and-coming bands that were on the metal hard rock side of the line that very much had a lot of similarities with the alternative acts that would challenge them and in many cases probably push them off the charts. So we're going to start with Queensryche and we're going to be talking about best ofs because that's what we do. And we're going to be talking about the Queensryche Greatest Hits which I actually don't have a copy of because I don't need to because I have the five albums that these tracks are drawn off of. So uh, if you are not into Queensryche and you would like to check them out and you uh, want to start with the best of, there's a Greatest Hits from 2000. Now, the band's history and lineup has become complicated in the last 15 years, to say the least, 
And to be honest, I jumped off of their uh, train probably mid-96, 97, somewhere around there. At any rate, uh, yeah, Queensryche, let's uh, listen to some more. Queensryche started out in the mid-80s, and definitely you can hear echoes of Iron Maiden and uh, Pink Floyd in their sound. Definitely also there is some uh, Simon and Garfunkel, who they've covered, and uh, of course, progressive rock of the 1970s, Rush, Genesis, that kind of stuff. Uh, very operatic vocals, and what was considered to be fairly intelligent lyrics for heavy metal of the time, although... It's always been kind of a backhanded compliment because heavy metal's always been a lot more complex than it was given credit for. I jumped on the Queensryche train with their album from August of 1990, Empire, which included the big hit Silent Lucidity and a couple of other songs like Jet City Woman and Anybody Listening, which, if you're listening to what I've played so far from their earlier stuff, is maybe a little more rock, a little more accessible, a lot less uh, bombastic. And I like those early albums, but it was a noticeable change, and maybe it was them changing with the times. You know, as I mentioned, they were from Seattle, and obviously they would be seeing what was going on around the city in some way, shape, or form, and had been going on for quite some time. And as the decade ended, there was definitely a, a change. You could feel it, that people were ready for something new. I mean, this was going to be the 90s. This was not the 80s anymore. And uh, Queensryche was there 
and they uh, they had a massive hit and had a massive single and uh, toured heavily on it and sold a lot of records. And by the time they came back, you know everything had changed. You go from 1990 with Empire to uh, 94 with Promised Land, which is a solid album, and I'm going to end with one of the tracks from that. But uh, time had moved on, even though this song fit very nicely with uh, what was going on at the time. You know, I dig Queensryche. Um, They're a band that I was uh, really, really into back in 90 and 91, and played over and over. And I'm like a lot of stuff that's faded away from my collection, all of their records are still here, up to uh, the point where I stopped buying them. And yes, my cassettes are long gone, and a couple of uh, box sets and stuff of theirs, but hey, you know, it's what we hold on to sometimes. And this has been a quarter of a century, you know, just think about that for a minute, a quarter of a century, more than 25 years ago, this was what was cutting edge. So I'm going to play uh, just a little bit more Queensryche, and we're going to move on to our next band, and I'll catch you on that side. I'm not looking for a one night stand. 
from Queensryche and Seattle. And by the way, I did speak about Queensryche before on the show back on episode 29, where I had an album I love segment, and I believe that was the uh, Rage for Order album. Uh, moving on to Houston, Texas and King's X, whose Faith, Hope, and Love album came out in October of 1990, and the song It's Love was a fairly big hit for them, kind of put them on the map. Uh, they had been toiling around the metal circles for a couple of years. They were on Atlantic Records and uh, Megaforce, which was a sub-label that Atlantic was a uh, partner with. And they were known for their hard rock and three-part harmonies and progressive sounds. Power Trio, very much like Rush, but having something else in that you had three-part harmonies, you had the very soulful singing of Doug Pennick, their bass player, and the great rock singing of Ty Tabor, the guitar player, who was also kind of a virtuoso. Um, yeah, I can't pronounce that word correctly. And by 1990, they had put out two albums, and they were on their third album, Faith, Hope, and Love, and they had a hit. And just like Queensryche, they toured, and they were out there making videos, and then they came back with another album, self-titled album, King's X, which did pretty well. The single called Black Flag. And from there, they uh, wanted to change their sound a little bit, like everybody else at the time. They, uh, you know, 1994, 1995, there's a lot of pressure to compete with the big league bands like Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam, who turns out was fans of theirs. Uh, they, Pearl Jam even took King's X out on tour as an opening act. At any rate, it's been long noted that King's X was a favorite of other musicians and uh, of mine for a lot of reasons. I had a very strong emotional connection to what they were saying in their songs. I found their music to be engaging and propulsive and not ponderous. There was a certain amount of reflection, but it wasn't necessarily navel-gazing reflection, and it dealt a lot with the human condition that they were seeing around them that I was definitely experiencing at the time, which is maybe a perfect place for me to play some more of their tunes.
I'll be honest in saying I haven't listened to some of this music in probably 15 years. Part of the reason is that as I'm listening, I get caught up in the music and I know every word, I know every chord change, because I listened to this stuff so much when I was younger. Uh, King's X, following uh, Dogman, put out another great album, probably my favorite of their 90s output, the Ear Candy album. And after that, they got a little too weird for me. Uh, if you go back to the first track I played after my last talking segment, that's kind of clumsy. Anyways, the first track of this last batch I played, We Are Finding Who We Are, that definitely had a funk edge to it as well that I did not pick up on back in 1990 when that record came out. So as a band with smart lyrics, with a uh, Christian worldview, as they met as a... a um, backing band for a Christian artist and were attending Christian colleges and having two singers and having a sound that was more melodic and maybe not quite as angry, maybe more mature than what was popular at the time, it's easy to see why they weren't necessarily able to build on the success of Faith, Hope, and Love and the self-titled King's X albums, both of which are great. Uh, I can recommend any of their albums on up through Ear Candy. After that, it gets a little iffy. Uh, I'm pulling these from the Building Blocks CD, which was a promotional CD, kind of a best of, that came out to promote Dogman. There is an official best of that came out, and I probably owned it at one point in time, but I've got all those albums, so once again, why hold on to a best of at that point in time? I don't know what else I can say about this band, except I, I re-listening, I once again get caught up in the music, and I wish that they would have had more and better success. So we're going to move along to uh, the third band that I want to talk about today. So a little more King's X, and then we'll be back to talking about my favorite band from Atlanta. Shout out. 
Won't you love to sing alone? Won't you come to build a fire? of the class of 1990, as I'm calling it, the proto-alternative, paving the way for alternative rock. And this actually came out in January of 91. That band is Driving and Crying, and their album Fly Me Courageous came out on January 8th of 1991. So that's basically 1990 in my book. Uh, Long time alt alternative band from Atlanta, mixing southern rock, punk. The main songwriter, Kevin Kenny, is a massive Ramones fan. Uh, hard rock and whatever else caught their ear. They're big fans of R.E.M. Peter Buck actually worked with them earlier. I'm sure that I've covered at least one of their albums in an Album I Love segment. I just couldn't find it on the website. So, what we're listening to is tracks from the late 90s album, The Essential Live, Driving and Crying. Once again, there was an official Driving and Crying best of known as the ultimate driving or ultimate collection that came out in 2000 and I think I gave my copy away because I have once again have all the albums that was quite a while ago um, so at any rate uh, what can I say about driving crime that I haven't in the past another great underrated band I will say out of Queensryche King's X and driving crying that originally Queensryche was the band that caught my ear the most and that I was the most into King's X is probably the one that's meant the most to me over my lifetime, but as a musical entity, I think Driving and Crying has been the most consistent and the only one who I can hardly recommend all of their records if you want to check them out. Their earlier records are definitely more accessible, the later records are all still solid, but uh, you're not going to go wrong with any of them at this point. So in 1991, there was the Fly Me Courageous record, and it had two singles, the title track and the one that I've been playing. Uh, build a fire, and then they went on tour with that, just like Queensryche, just like King's X. Then they went to the studio, had some uh, personnel troubles, some ego troubles, some problems with the change in the times. There's actually a great documentary, and I'm looking at it right now on DVD. I got it from me called Scar- "Scarred but Smarter: The Life and Times of Driving a Crime." "Scarred but Smarter" is their uh, original side one, track one first album track. It's a great song. And um, I'll play a little bit of that later on. 
Anyways, uh, Kevin Kenny, the lead singer, mentions that when Alternative hit, that he felt like, wait a minute, we're on the side of the fence with Alternative. We're with R.E.M. and the B-52s and all of that, replacements and all of those kinds of bands. We're not with the Poisons and the Warrants and the hair metal that was dominating, but the industry had slotted them there because when their record happened to hit in the summer of 1990, was right at the tail end of that hair metal era. Which is weird because the records that they were coming off of sounded like this. sound and in subject and in lyrical content driving and crying was definitely on the side of the fence with the nirvanas and the pearl jams and the rems of the world and not the motley cruise that's for sure but these are these are how the stories go you know i'm sure we can look at any era and see bands that were on one side of the line and got slotted on the other side and I'm sure that there's like a lot of hidden gems and a lot of bands out there that resonate with people to this day that most of us have forgotten about. We're just a blip on a radar somewhere who got lost in the shuffle. I've talked about all three of these bands before, and I will probably continue to talk about them because that era, that 1990 into 91, for me, that was that was transitioning from high school to college. That was turning 18 years old that was a lot of things going on in our culture and as I get older and I look back and like I said you know more than a quarter century at this point uh, you know you, you wonder how did we get here what what song did I sing that's somebody else's music by the way um, 
and I don't know what else can I say uh, to me these are three bands that should be in people's collections when I talk about the best albums of the 90s definitely uh, each of these bands has a contender at the very least for uh, being on that list and they have a couple hidden, hidden gems in each of their catalogs that are ripe for discovery or rediscovery so we're gonna leave with uh, we'll start off with Scarred But Smarter the uh, great statement of intent from Driving to Crying it's Eric Reanimator listen to some good music be of good cheer and uh, I will catch you all next time. I might have work, I might have hope of a change beyond the eyes spoke and good times for the undeserved. There are hard times for the ones who work Good men, rich men, bad men, dead men Hope for more than they can all plan Just then they suffered a serious blow As a real world cut the line you hold Nobody's saying this would be fair They warned you before you went out there There's always a chance to get restarted To a new world Smart, much smarter! Is it right to wish the poor man rich? Is it right to wish the rich man poor? The hopeful it's real, it's real, it's real. We start neighbors laughing this thing. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.